0: Roger, hi. Good to see you. Hi, and good to see you, even though it's virtually, of course, but it's a pleasure.
1: It is. And, and we started off before recording by sort of comparing microphones. Um, mm. you, there was a suggestion that you've got an array of microphones to choose from.
0: Um, well, no, only two. Only the, um, you know, the cheap Apple iPoddy things that come with your phone, whatever, and uh, this one, which is which is top quality one. Well, I think it's better if you got a, a, a better voice as as well. But um,
1: <laughs> but it's sort of it's suggests okay. that you that you have to do this quite a lot. I mean, it's professional. You look professional. Um, you've got big headphones on and a microphone. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's it's all, it's all for show. The um, I I have been using this one for some teaching and some podcasts, but it's um, I use it for the music on the music side as well. It's fairly decent, decent thing.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and these headphones are, are big, but I don't think that necessarily means they're good. They're just big. Yeah,
1: they, they are big, but but it does it does look good. There's something about a big a big headphone, <laughs> and, and actually, it'd be nice to because i know you know i know a bit about the you know the physio side and your your professional work a little and we'll we'll obviously i'll ask you a little bit about that but but actually the music what's happening on the music front not much because
0: we can't do anything it was okay for a few weeks and it's getting a bit tedious now a year down the line we had um i, I don't know if you know, i, I played in this band and we had, for the first time ever last summer, we had a, a really good um lineup of festivals over the summer. I mean, we've done we've done a few before, but we we had it was like the sweet spot last summer, and then we had the best festivals we've always wanted to play out and go to and stuff. And of course, they all, they all got cancelled, so yeah,
1: hmm. uh,
0: that's yeah, that's that's, it. that's
1: tough. I mean, do you well, things seem to be opening there's you know there's talk of uh, reading and, and Leeds seem to be going ahead um you got an optimistic outlook yeah well better would
0: better than it was because when when glastonbury announced they were they weren't going ahead we thought um like everybody would follow suit and just and just scrap it for for 2021 and then a couple of small festivals shunted themselves back to the back end of August and September. And then Reading Red in Leeds said they were going ahead. And then it's and literally, I think, in the last couple of weeks, it's been really positive. There's been lots of announcements about, yeah, we're going to go ahead even in sort of July, August and things like that. So, yeah, fingers crossed. If the roadmap goes well, um, it could all be back on. But I, d- I don't know what they're going to look like. Um, pretty spaced out, but mm-hmm. that's uh, the sort of festivals we go to are fairly spaced out anyway. Well, I was going to say, I mean, crowded to
1: be in a festival, you know, you are fairly spaced out in a number yeah. of ways, perhaps. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're all open or big, big space things, and people can just sit around and enjoy themselves. So, so maybe uh, the nature of them won't be too different. Um, so, yeah, let's see. Let's see what happens. But, uh, yeah, more positive now than it than it has been for the last few months. So that's good.
1: And, and have you been practising at home?
0: Well, this is one of the interesting things, you know, and this I, I suppose it's this isn't just about music. It's about everybody. <laughs> no, no, not much is, is the answer. And I've been sort of thinking about this and chatting with other people about it. And it's, it seems to be the case with a lot of people. The sort of songwriting uh, creativity is all sort of come come to all but a stop, really. And looking back, you think, well, what a wasted opportunity! Because actually, we had a lot more time to focus on on things. But I guess it's that lack of—I um, don't know. What, what, what do you think? Is it a lack of a, a short-term motivation or lack of stimulus to to create? Um, but it's been very hard. it's it's been very hard um, to to do to do things when you think actually it's a perfect opportunity to to do some stuff and I guess that cuts across the board as well it? you know it's not just about songwriting it's about uh, some professional stuff as well I, I think I don't know I don't know you've been on that side of things obviously you've been creative because you created this podcast.
1: Yeah. And th- this was sort of by accident, though, rather than anything, anything planned. Um, and you know, everyone's got their own their own story. And this this whole situation has affected everyone in, in very, in very different ways. But you're right. You know, there's this sort of oh, we've had all this time. Surely we, we could have created something. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a sense, you're not choosing to feel flat or, or demotivated. It just sort of is depending on your circumstance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But you would have thought you'd had a bit more control over it and be able to kick yourself up the backside or something and do something. But it's just, um, I don't know, maybe on the other hand, we all needed a bit of a rest and just to step away from things and then we, we can get back onto it. But, um, but anyway, I, th- I think there's something about that stimulation thing. If you're not being stimulated by your senses all the time, like we, I mean, even you know, just driving into work or something, or cycling into work, and being around people, all that's st- all that stuff that was normal was actually uh, obviously a lot of sensory stimulation that you could make something off Or thinking time, you know, driving, running, cycling. Um, I mean, still. St- runnings runnings a different story really but um I guess the the normal stuff there was a lot of uh, human human things going on there and stories being created in your your mind and things but it, yeah other than watching Netflix there's not been too much um storytelling material
1: yeah well that that could be it i mean apart from of course the the your own inner world and how that's been affected by just sitting on the couch or or whatever um but yeah you're right in that a lot of the ordinary moments from that stems our stories or or things that happen spontaneously that that energize us or affect us that, that maybe get the creative juices flowing or give you something to write about.
0: Yeah. I mean, to tell you the truth, a lot of our, sorry, we're still talking about the music side. We haven't even moved on to, 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 to whatever it is. We're supposed to be talking about, but, but. um... The music.
1: Did did I not tell you this is a music podcast?
0: (laughs) It's it's turning into a music podcast. You're like the new John Peel. I get you. I think it's some of our sort of darkest, most, um, for me, most interesting songs that we've written about troubled lives and and human frailty and stuff that sound really dark and they've got all these deep characters. In. They usually just come from, like, going on the bus into town or something and see, seeing a character on the side of the road and thinking, oh, I wonder what his life's been like let's make a story about that um and although yeah obviously there is still you know you're out and about on your feet and stuff but not as much as as you have been so i guess that uh, that source material is just a bit more limited that's all
1: yeah yeah but i mean look this this podcast isn't really about anything in particular other than 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 you not to put you on the spot or anything um, and, and I know music's a big part of what you do but but in, an interesting parallel there of course is is that the the prof- the profession that you've chosen um, or that you chose is is all about storytelling or, or really our role is to listen to other people's stories um, yeah well that that is a
0: nice sort of parallel to to um, to draw and it, uh, I guess I've always been attracted to that side of the profession more than the, I mean, I know I've, I've sort of got an academic job part of what I do and, but I'm not a hardcore researcher, trialist or anything like that or data type person. I've always been attracted by the clinical reasoning and the narrative reasoning and the, the, the values-based medicine and a genuine interest in people's lives and you, you you know when we all started working you work on the the wards and just spending time with with the older generation and listening to those stories I mean when I when I started there were still people telling stories about the first world war and stuff and it was it was fascinating you know just go to what a job you just go to work and sit on the side of somebody's bed and listen about the war every day um you know that that's really appealing isn't it it's really captivating and um but but then you know that that clin- the clinical reasoning side just that sort of thinking and the logic and the putting parts of the story together to form something that, that emerges from from a conversation you know that's 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 appealed to me right from the start right from I guess entering training, but as I, I, and I was telling, um, Oliver Thompson, who's doing the words matter podcast. Um, the, the same story about one of the first things I read as a, as an undergraduate, my very first year was Mark Jones's clinical reason in pain, uh, article in the very first issue of, of manual therapy journal. And it was just like, Hit home straight away, you know. And that, so that that's been a, a a thread through through my professional life, really.
1: That side of it. all. So that that article really sort of it was a light bulb moment. It kind of triggered triggered something for you.
0: Yeah, yeah, I guess. But um at, the, at that stage, there wasn't much does not much comparison. I didn't know an alternative world of physiotherapy or or anything, but it still sort of made sense and thought, oh, no. Yeah, why, why is somebody writing about this? Isn't this just so – you know, it, it's great that he was writing about it and it, it was so stimulating, but I guess you thought, well, surely that's how it should – that you know, that's what you should do. You should listen and, and work things out and – develop ideas and test those ideas and then uh, and then as time goes on you realize actually a lot of the profession wasn't like that and that's why this guy from the other side of the the globe felt compelled to write to write stuff about what we what we call clinical reasoning
1: Uh, so what what were you being taught at the time then that was so different to that well, I mean, literally, not not
0: much because, as I say, this was really early on in my um, undergraduate ed- education. It was dur- during the f- the first year, so I guess looking back, the the teaching that I got was 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 fine. It was as it was as good as anywhere else, I guess. But it, it and it was all, um, you know, it was all it was all experience. L- clinicians and lecturers teaching you what what they knew. Which, which again, at that time was very skills based techniques, the basics of history taking and and things, but but not not the not the the hypothetico deductive process that Mark Jones was was talking about, um, and I, I guess we were lucky enough we had a couple of people who were very sort of on interest in the psychology side and I, th- I think we've probably got a of the sort of biopsychosocial element than a lot of places did at that at that time from talking to talking to people this was I don't know where I don't know when you you trained this this was um early like early to mid 90s something like that yeah um just as the you know evidence-based medicine was introduced as well you know that was that was another light bulb sort of critical critical incident yeah so i so i started the same year that that gordon guy wrote that the very first paper on the, the with the mcmaster's team and gordon Guyatt wrote the very first paper on evidence-based medicine so it was an interesting time and the yeah. internet as well the internet some guy came in to tell us about something called the internet we <laughs> was like what are you are you mad like you can go on a computer and
1: so you what? remember was the microfiche? fish like...
0: oh yeah yeah of course yeah <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah and well and there, was, so one could, there together, was even to even to find the abstract on a computer was like wow there's an abstract yeah. there written i can use that and then I can go hunting in the back of the library and, and wheel those things and go into the journal. They were
0: great, weren't wow. they? Yeah. Spending hours in a library just going through taking journals off and looking looking down the contents index at on the back page and, and things, spending hours and hours just to find w- one article. Um there's something about that there, there's something quite romantic about that really. There Being was in the qu- quiet library, just just literally hours and hours going through things.
1: <laughs> right, a very a very sensory experience, because there's, yeah. you know, there's the feel to everything, especially the older yeah. journals, and then definitely an odour. Definitely an odour. And it was great. I used to like
0: finding things like, you know, the Scandinavian Journal of Rehabilitation and thinking, Scandinavian, wow. That's just like, <laughs> <Got it. laughs> why, are they, why are they writing? Why you know? <laughs> just thinking, what what a world! I don't know. Just discovering this world that you're in, en- that you're entering—the New England Journal. Oh, can you imagine? That's and again all that that sort of romance about about it, and the different thicknesses of the journals, and some were a bit bigger, and some were a bit smaller. It's, it's, it was all good stuff, wasn't it? But yeah, yeah. There was one. There was one computer in the in the um, college at I went to Pinderfields. And, and you had to sort of book it. But then when you booked it, you didn't know what to do on it.
1: <laughs> so uh, anyway, you know, they're, they're very different times. And you think about how, how it's evolved. And, um, you know, I, I can remember, I mean, this wasn't that long ago, um, sitting with, with someone we both know well, Mick. Um, <laughs> and, and he had the first um, version of the iPhone. Yeah, I was very excited about about that, and um, and you sort of think even from then where where it's come now, you know, doing this. Yeah, it, it's it crazy, was, isn't it? When, when we were at university, you know, in the in the nineties, I think we we're of a similar era. Um, you know, this this was it wouldn't even come on into one's thinking that you'd be doing this sort of thing.
0: Yeah, uh, no, different world, isn't it? And like you say, the progression more laterally has been has been so so fast and so steep. It's, uh, it's yeah, I take my hat off to today's students because they they deal they have to deal with such a changing dynamic uh, information rich wor- world. And you know the 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 amount of information that I get in a day in the library they're 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 exposed to within a, a minute or something mm. you know it's it's uh, strange
1: yeah. yeah yeah i mean how how have how have people coped in in your world over the last year or so with with what's been happening well,
0: on the on the on the teaching side yeah uh, do you mean students um they they've just been absolutely incredible really, just uh I've, I've been amazed at their flexibility really and, and adaptability uh and of course there's, there's there's ups and downs and it hasn't been all all smiles and skipping and joys it's it's been hard for them, but the first years that have come in, of course, they, they, they came into it, uh, and 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 nothing to compare with. Uh, so I suppose in some in I don't know some ways that m- might be easier. The the other years have got previous years to compare with. So you know we spent you spend hours in the practical room, and now we're just on a team's meeting every now and again. But the first years of um, it's been it's been strange. They've had very limited face to face stuff yet at the same time they're they're realizing this is a very face to face profession and they're trying to make some sense of all that. Mm. I must say the self-organized learning from um, and the motivation to find stuff out themselves has has been st- strikingly obvious during this period and it's like they've just got on with it and worked out what they need to know and, and sorted it out because they know there's, there's a, I mean, of course, we're there to help as much as we, we can but it. Yeah. Uh So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting looking back on this period and it's going to be really interesting to see the quality of professionals and clinicians we get out, out of this. Um, and my guess, I think they're going to have some more, res- I think they're going to have more resilience and flexibility of mind than, than perhaps the conventional sort of things. yeah
1: yeah no. what what kinds of things do you look for then in a successful practitioner what what do you hope that, that your people will will end up with at the end of their their training with you
0: well I mean as you know you you, you can imagine the what you class as a I don't know what, what what we're calling them here, a good clinician or a, a the sort of person you want to produce or something like that. And even in my short time in education, I think that's changed quite a bit from, oh, you know, we want somebody who's really good with their hands and can uh, be as good as Gwen Jull at feeling somebody's C3, 4, blah, blah, blah. Um know that that way of thinking wasn't that too long ago in my mind and we was running you know the undergraduate side and the postgraduate side and it it was all about that and now of course it's it's quite different so we want we want people i think this idea of um the combination of resilience and flexibility and adaptability and um I, i i guess the the other dimension there is being able to synthesize access and synthesize information critically quite quickly you know that that that's that's the person where we're we're after these these days yeah. um, and the, anything else I guess is is icing on the cake you know if, if they happen to be you know, w- within all that, it comes the communication and the uh, the empathy and the compassion and the and the rest of the season, all that sort of stuff. And then, it, I, I guess, anything else. If somebody happens to be skilled with their hands or whatever, then great. But you know that that, uh, as as we know, that's not that's not what this game's all about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, how, how much emphasis then is is put on? Communication and developing empathy and compassion.
0: Well, in the in the in the programs in our programs, yeah, in the training, I, you know, I'd I'd say a lot. And I guess this is um, I guess there's huge variation across the country and across the world with this. And it uh, to to a large degree, it depends on who your staff are, who your teaching and lecturing staff are. And we're just lucky enough to have some sort of like-minded people who think pretty much the same way. And and really from the day one in the first year, they you know it is all about the communication and uh, and d- developing empathy. But I mean, you, as you know, you can't you, you can't teach em- empathy, but you can draw it out of people and, and and allow them to work out themselves the importance of of things like that. And you can't turn somebody who's not compassionate into somebody who's. Com- compassionate but you would hope that the majority of people in the world have some compassion about them and the ones who self-select to go into a profession like this have it anyway so it's about drawing those things out and and you know we 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 talk about the biopsychosocial model from day one they they know no other world other than other than that and we work within that and i don't know it's challenging at times, you know, they then they go out and they go on mm-hmm. to placements and experience different worldviews and come back and go, What on earth are you on about? <laughs> well, that's what I was gonna say. Elf, 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 somebody's L4 was stiff, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, because you know the biomedical model as, as we all know still predominates enormously. Um some places more more than others. So so yeah, they, they then face these these other ways. And, and have to fit in somewhat as well.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a real challenge. Uh, again, it, like I say, I, I feel a bit, I don't feel sorry for the taste students, but I recognize the challenges that they've got that we probably didn't have at this stage of, of our journeys in, into the career, because the information and knowledge is, is coming out and changing so quickly. And you know, it's like um, we've been having this discussion. Well, we always have discussion. You know, colleagues of mine like Alan Taylor. You probably, you probably know Fiona Moffat. How do how do students reconcile the stuff that's being being thrown thrown at them? You know, sometimes literally on a hour to hour basis right you've got one module here a half nine till half ten we're going to tell you about this and then 11 till 12 is this other module which is actually contradicting everything that's just been said in in that one and the students are just running around like headless chicken go what why is nobody (laughs) so even though as i say we're we're all very at nottingham i think we're, we're very relatively like-minded people, but you still get these hugely conflicting uh, viewpoints and interpretations of of the data. And uh, one minute being thrust hardcore, evidence-based medicine processes, and the next minute being, talking about person-centered healthcare, and the student then has to go, hold on, how do I, (laughs) How, how does that work then? And then, uh, and and then a month later, say, "No, oh, you know those special tests we told you about the shoulder? Well, they're not that good anymore." Uh, <laughs> so, um, but and that that's why this sort of adaptability and flexibility has to form the core of of who these people are.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because that's basically what they're going to face in the you know out there in the world. Yeah. And yeah. to navigate it sometimes, you know, with a with a larger boat through a narrower crevice.
0: Breaking the sides a
1: little even.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And being comfortable. You know, the thing is being comfortable with that. It, just accepting that the, that the world is is uncertain. Practice is uncertain. Healthcare is uncertain and that's fine yeah and now let's work out ways some ways that you can be un- uncomfortably comfortable with that
1: that seems uh, like a really important point because when i look back on on training that i had there there was there was almost a certainty that was told you do this with this machine or with your hand yeah. You rub across that thing there for five minutes or whatever it was. I can't even remember now. Um, (laughs) Firmly enough. Don't worry if your finger hurts, just keep doing it. Because if you stop, then you'll lose the, you know, it was so, it was definite, definite, definite. And and interestingly, before, before I did um, physio, I trained as a nurse. So I'd spent countless hours on a ward because as well as training as a nurse, I I worked as a nursing auxiliary because I've sort of funded myself and all the rest of it and, um, so, so I I was doing a lot of hours in in hospital, in lots of different guises, if you like, um, wow. and and there wasn't certainty taught with that, and and there was loads of, loads of psychology, loads of sociology um, within that training, and I'd just come straight out of school, so I was like, oh, what's this? And I was much more black and white then, so it was in fact fabulous learning for me to wake me up to to, to the realities. But no physio seems very very concrete and mm. um, and now it's that's fascinating that, that you value and I can totally understand why the, the that flexibility and adaptability
0: but, but it, it is hard like as we said they get they then get a contrast with say for example going on, going on clinical placements where there are there will be different people with with different views and and peace and all that, but but you're right. I mean, I just remember sitting down and you know, literally wrote learning those those the Syriac stuff, the Maitland stuff. A little little brown book that Maitland wrote that that's very rare. You don't you hardly see it around. It was like a little A five paper paper bound brown book, and uh, it had every it had all these like really really detailed notations but it but it was literally right so this is a this page is about uh you know ne- never really mentioned people it was about this page is about knees that don't move beyond 35 degrees and then and then a list of all the symbols of what you should do to to that that means so i just remember trying learning that and making notes and thinking right, 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 right. and and it gave you great comfort because it was like yes i've i've got something i've got it i've learned the system learned the, you know learned the system um, and even though that was obviously wrong at least it was something at least it was something concrete that you could that gave you confidence to 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 sort of move move on i guess but now there's there's nothing really concrete to form as a base which is quite right that's that's what it should be but but like you say it then makes in in the, in the mind of an eighteen year old that that's living in this strange world that makes things quite quite difficult when actually something concrete would would be nice for them to, yeah t- to to have but uh, I don't know maybe we've got educational I. Uh, I've always been a big fan of like, like, like you've just said, you had that background of sociology, psychology, and the, and the uncertainty from, from nursing. Um, I've always been a fan of everybody should just have a foundation year of something to do with philosophy of science or sociology, of social sciences, uh, and then go in, go, then go into the sciences. I don't, I, I've, I don't understand how somebody can, learn about the sciences without understanding about the, the philosophy and soci- sociology of, of the sciences. Um,
1: and that's a very Scandinavian thing as well. So so create a context then from which you can then learn the principles?
0: Yeah, context, at least a context, but also that idea that actually, even though I'm gonna be learning about stuff I realized nothing is is certain and nothing is static, uh, because we only have to look back at the history of science, for example, and see see that's that. And now I don't I don't know if it would work or not, but in it, in my mind, it 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 would. And I and I gain something from going into those sorts of things after training as a as a physio after going through a bachelor of science and then then sort of going into that side of things my everything made a bit more sense then but maybe that's just me maybe that's just just whatever
1: what what sparked your interest in in that field in in looking into the philosophy um
0: I, I don't know i guess just some thoughts and questions about is this what do, what, what does that mean I, what is the scientific method uh, I, again i i'm sort of repeating myself here because because uh, we sort of had this conversation with, with with ollie again but that's fine um but i, I did have an interest in this sort of thing because I'd, I'd read a bit of stuff of uh, karl popper and stuff before going going into it and and maybe it was that or something i i don't know but then 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 with the sort of hyp- hypothesis formation in the clinical reasoning and this idea of the uh, in 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 human nature we've got this ability to generate an idea and then test it and then either refute or support it um which which sort of um sits between certainty and uncertainty really because it's not like uh, a superficial reading of science which is we find something and that's it it's fact it's like hold on a minute so you're saying it could be a fact or it couldn't be a fact that's really interesting how does how does that work mm. um and then things get a bit more complex when you see <laughs> uh You read something like you know a positivist view of the world assumes there's an external truth out there and all science is doing is trying to find that truth well who said that who who even made that thought up you know where did where did that come from is there an what what where is this external truth and then the opposite you know socially constructed truths you know like you know it's all fascinating so you know and then the more you A piece of research, or you do a, uh, a human story during a a, um, um, a history taken, and you th- you think uh, you know this is we're developing truths all the time and establishing what establishing things all all the time, whether through research or or, or communication conversation um and um Ian edwards early work on narrative reasoning again you know de- developing these hypotheses which could or couldn't be true through conversation like fascinating yeah how does that fit with you hum- how does that fit with humanity and how does that fit with the scientific uh paradigm um and I, I think there is something about you know this is this is one thing that that's is um come off the whole cause health thing if we're trying to develop more scientific methods as such. I think that what we do in clinical reasoning is essentially a scientific method because we develop hypotheses we test them uh, in the most controlled way possible just between two two people yeah um which is why we, which is one of the the reasons that we could say something like, you know, the evidence established during a during a interaction with a patient is is valid evidence in terms of decision
1: making. So, in essence, then, you know, um, the the interaction between two people, one being a clinician and one being a patient, is 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 always some kind of scientific inquiry, perhaps a compassionate one or compassion-led one. And by merely asking another question about something they've said is is testing and retesting and retesting your own hypothesis about what you think they've told you and the meaning thereof yeah and so conceptually
0: and people will argue against that that's that's no real difference than developing a research question or hypothesis and then designing an experiment or a randomized control trial to to test that the only difference is the sort of uh ancient ideas of, of of reproducibility and regularity and how often how often that does occur because because with that side of science we're obsessed with making predictions for the future and stuff whereas the stuff we've just been talking about it's a it's a one-to-one level we're not so much interested or in fact uh it isn't possible to make predictions to a future situation about that but it tells you the truth about what's happening in within that within that interaction um and which then raises the question of so, you know, some people would say the, the point of science is to make, is to find generalizable truths so that you can then predict the future with. But uh, I'm not sure if, if that's the, the fullest idea of what science is about. It would be nice if we could establish truths so that you could predict the future with, because then life would be easy. And, and there's some context you could do that and some you couldn't. But I think healthcare is one of the ones where it is, it is difficult to find generalizable truths that predict the future, like which treatment works best for which condition.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, that sounds very much like a, a model of the brain itself. Yeah, Oh, are you gonna
0: start talking about Mick Thacker again now?
1: No, I wasn't going to actually.
0: <laughs> I mean, this is, yeah. yeah um, so
1: remember, this is a music podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Mick Sacker and the Bearded Five. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, just. Uh, but I do find some of, uh, you know, what Mick's looking into with the predictive processing is, uh, you know fairly much up my street because i've always been a, a bayesian at, at, at heart um uh with you know which which is all about considering the context of new new evidence in the in the existing world yeah. which is something that we're not really taught about in our education and, and we don't teach you we, we say something like okay as a systematic review of randomized controlled trials therefore this is what we know we don't say prior to understanding this this is what we know now we know that so the two together is i mean we we do do we do do that but the 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 process the system is set up where either you don't need to do that or it Sometimes it's hard to do that because we prioritize different uh, sources of evidence like systematic reviews, we we don't say right this is our understanding from case studies mechanistic studies experience and now here's a systematic view let's see how that fits together, we say we might acknowledge that we've got all this other stuff, case studies, laboratory studies, evidence, but then we say, actually, but actually as a systematic view, so that, change, that changes things now because we've prioritised that, that, that method. So it's that sort of contrasts a bit with the a Bayesian way of, of thinking to population level. anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. You, you know, you're, you're someone who's, who's naturally inquisitive um how how did that pan out at school oh not very well
0: i was crap at school i didn't do (laughs) seriously i did i hardly passed anything uh i left as soon as i could i think i got a geography o level but i think that was like a sympathy thing because we went on like a couple of field trips to the Lake district and they helped out with the washing up quite a bit and things like that. So I guess they said, Oh, we'll give them, give them something for that, for that. (laughs) Um, and then I, I I only got, (laughs) I only got into physio training through, I guess, what was then like a clearing system sort of thing, ringing round, but you did it yourself then. well, Well, I did anyway, just ringing round individual, places yeah. uh after after a level results had come out for for everybody else ringing around again and, and then talking somebody into doing it and then uh, i guess pinderfields were foolish enough to say i'll oh, come up and have an interview um
1: and it and it was all right from there <laughs> so you you, yeah, you but, managed to to talk to them in a way that they felt you well they saw something in you well,
0: either that or they were, they needed to fill the places; otherwise, they get some sort of financial penalty or something <laughs> like that, like we do. But uh, school, school—I guess—school just wasn't for me. I was doing other things, was like cycling at the time, for example. I had yeah. other interests. I—I couldn't really engage with school. I liked the teachers. I liked the people. Uh, I liked—I I actually liked subjects. You know, it was good learning about Oxbow Lakes and. Mm equations in maths but I didn't I didn't understand it and I didn't understand the process of like passing exams and things like that just sort of didn't make sense and if it was a nice sunny day I'd rather go out on my bike yeah and if that happened to be a day of a no-level exam <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I couldn't really work out I couldn't really prioritize importance and things yeah. like that
1: well like you you prioritized psychic <laughs> that was important to yeah. you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah, and then I worked. I worked in um, an insurance company for a few years after that, and that was equally as baffling as well. The way humans worked, meeting lovely people, enjoying the whole
1: experience, but not being very good at things. But you, you learned about how humans treat each other.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's it, it's great. But they, but it, I guess they're not the things that somebody's paying you in a in a, in a job or uh, you know expectations of school or whatever but mm-hmm. I find it I'm looking back I find it all fascinating and every bit is a necessary part of where, where I am now uh, so the
1: insurance was before physio
0: yeah yeah and then um I, again I was um I knew Alan Taylor, Alan Taylor was a professional cyclist in the eight, that, around that area, late, late mm-hmm. eighties. He rode the Tour of Britain or Milk Race, I guess it was then, wow. um, for for a team. And we were both from Nottingham and I was in the local uh, team in Nottingham, Vel- Velo Club Nottingham. That's what Alan was in before he turned. Pro. So, so actually, I actually knew Alan when I was a sort of young teenager, and he was he's older than me, obviously, very old. Um, <laughs> and he was sort of this uh, an older person, pro ro, ro, role model, and he was a physio as well. I didn't find out he was a physio yeah. till a few years later. And then I guess working in insurance and this, that, they then chatting and saying there must be something better to do than, than this. And some guy says, Well, I quite like my job. I'm this thing called a physio or something. Uh, But, but I actually went into um, when I left the insurance. In fact, I got, I got, I got made redundant because the company moved to Birmingham and they said, you can either come with us to Birmingham or we're chucking you out. So I said, yeah, well, chuck me out. And then I, I did some training in, um, um, uh recreation management leisure leisure recreation management and i did um s- some coaching coaching training uh for fitness and strength and conditioning um and then and then on to to physio so it's all it's all this little pat real <laughs> patchy stuff yeah. that doesn't make any sense but eventually gets gets somewhere
1: well yeah, as you say you know every every choice you made back then shaped now
0: yeah i, I guess
1: months.
0: so i guess so but it's uh it's walking on a fine line really because you can i, I guess the thing was a sort of question everything why am i doing this why do i have to sit in a classroom when it's on the outside why do i have to go to work just because you pay me you know why mm. why why do and that could all go wrong you, you could i don't know can you be too too inquisitive and too challenging i suppose I suppose you could, and then you end up doing nothing because you're just constantly challenging and questioning, so you actually get nowhere, but um, I guess maybe just on that line where questioning enough to, to develop and move on, and, you know, still still doing it now, sort of questioning everything, but it seems to be right now, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. But.
1: Yeah, I mean, as you said, you know the model of you. You ask the question and you test it. So there's some kind of action there. You're you, you're checking things out, not just asking questions for the sake of it. You know, you can always keep asking. Well, why? And why is that? Yeah. Why is yeah. that? Yeah. And why is that? You know, and and you just be there forever asking yeah. that, never yeah. actually do anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, You've got to do stuff as well, of course. You have got to do stuff, and 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 you've done a, a huge amount, haven't you, over the, your career? And and so, what what's the primary project at the moment?
0: Um, I, I don't know. I mean, the cause health stuffs come to an end of the of the the funded project, and we're talking with uh, you are you? Do you know Rani and the Cause Health people?
1: I I I I think I know. but well, I know you. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've listened to Rani um, yeah. speak yeah. on on a podcast, um, which is very interesting. So so yes, no, I'm I'm aware, but I've never been to any of the events.
0: No, well, well, I mean, it, it it was what it was, and it's it's putting us in a different position now to where we were four or five years ago, and it's all very exciting. But we've um, been talking about having like a cause health ed thing now, so an educational sort of spur off the cause health. Like, how, how do we translate this stuff into? Into education, into curricula. How do we sort of change the narrative a little bit about science and research and practice? And uh, so, you know, hopefully this um, we we met up just before Christmas and started to get some ideas together. But hopefully that's uh, you know that's just the sort of thing I like. I could ne- I could I could never be, you know, whatever a, a trialist or or a systematic reviewer or something like that. I just don't get get it but the idea of like changing changing things at a fundamental level and working with people to 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 change how we view the world is is really really exciting stuff and ronnie you know i've been so i you you say you said just a few minutes ago i've been so productive and all that stuff i I don't i don't know if that's the case or not i I wouldn't I'd, i'd never say that really i think i've just been really lucky uh, and I was lucky enough to meet people like Ronnie, Stephen Mumford, who was my PhD supervisor, who got, and then I got, I got involved in this sort of this old Norwegian thing and everything. And it was, it, it was great visiting some, again, I, I, the motivation for me is things like, oh, not that we've got this great research project. It was more, wow, I'm going I'm going to spend a week in the Arctic circle now. It's brilliant. <laughs> because <laughs> Ronnie used to organise these meetings all over Norway. We were like right up at Tromsø and things like this. So, wow. so, you know, I guess I should have been going, yes, we're going there to discuss this, whatever. But I was like, wow, see yeah. might
1: see a whale or something. Well, yeah, look, if you're going to go and do some work somewhere, why, why not make it an adventure?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that is genuinely part part of it, and and you know part of the the research and the the richness of the academic project is intertwined with that experience as as well. And there's something st- motivating, stimulating, productive about feeling happy and, and enjoying yourself and being in a wonderful environment and rather than in a a windowless
1: meeting room in birmingham or something yeah you know it's um... so yeah so if you can find ways of, of energizing it like that and obviously you, you know you energize yourself on normal circumstances through through music and, and maybe one or two other things it, it just paints a whole new picture of it mm, mm.
0: i think um Stuff can be done differently. By stuff, I mean everything ranging from clinical practice to ac- academic stuff. And again, I think we can learn a lot from you know. This is the great thing, isn't it, about working with other people, working with other disciplines, and working with other cult- cultures as well. Mm. I, mean, I know, I know, Norway isn't massively culturally different from the UK. It, it is in some ways, but. But, you know, we, we have a lot of, of Indian students and Sub-Saharan African students and um, they come on our postgraduate stuff. And I feel I feel really, really bad because they, they come here to learn. But really, I just love them coming because I'm learning so much from them about life and yeah. their cultures. And, and I'm meant to be the one at the front of the room <laughs> teaching that. And I'm just going, this is just amazing. Like, I'm lucky am I. I'm you know. I've got somebody from China there, somebody from Saudi Arabia there, somebody from India there. Somebody, and I'm learning about all this stuff and I'm with them for a year now and this is just gonna be, be, be great. And um, it's like, it sounds really bad, but the, the fact that they do well and pass their their MSC or whatever is like a bit of a bonus really. It's yeah. just that what was really important about that year was how we just got to grow together and, and,
1: and learn together. Well, I think that's it. And again, I, I think that's can be really reflected in the therapeutic relationship as, as well that mm. yes, that person's come to you for guidance, advice, support, um and you know we clinicians traditionally you know the other side of the desk or on the pedestal or whatever but but we know that there are issues with that and and actually to collaborate and and to be together in this in this journey is yeah. far more powerful and, and we come away having learned so much from each person that we spend time with yeah. and, and same in the teaching situation it's not just a one-way thing
0: yeah and th- that's a big generational thing we've got we've got to get get over you know the, the the paternalistic the authoritarian good doctor and i think we we are getting there but it'll be perhaps another generation before this true collaborative healthcare and, and health is reframed and
1: redefined as something other than it is it is now yeah yeah. You you mentioned that you, you did some coaching and, and you know that, um, that that's a lens that, that i like to come through. But have you have you found yourself drawing upon other fields, professions like that? I mean, psychology, clearly, and, and philosophy. But are there any other fields that you've kind of drawn upon?
0: Well, I mean, in, in the early days, and I suppose even so now, uh, even though back you know back in the mid mid 80s as a as a relatively not very good amateur cyclist and with no formal coaching but there were people who coached you and you would you would eventually over time you'd learn during my early years as a physiotherapist I was constantly thinking about that as me as a coach with the patients because and I guess one reason for that is because I I didn't Really know how you did physiotherapy uh, the right way. So I was drawing on all all of those sporting experiences, and then me as a do, doing the, the coaching stuff at a sort of further education level. It's like the only thing I could do. So it was like when when you were with the you know morbidly obese diabetic guy in room thirty three over there and we needed to get him up it was a it was a i sort of defaulted to that that coaching role and work with somebody um as as opposed i guess to a or you know the authoritarian i'm the physios co- oh my god physios coming. physios mm-hmm. come in everybody sit up straight through and really to do, it was like okay let's how can we sort of work work on this together let's work out what what you need, what I need. And, and sort of, so I guess I was always like that, but, but for, 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 as I say, for probably the wrong reasons in that I didn't really know how to do it otherwise. Um, And I guess I've sort of busked through a bit like that all, all the way along, but, but now I see, uh, you know, I'm just starting to set up a, a sort of new, little new venture with with some you know doing some consultancy work but thinking hard about the wordings to use uh in in the marketing and advertising of 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 that and try and find a way to move away from that again that sort of authoritarian traditional consultant physioe type thing yeah and it's 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 harder as, as you know i mean i think you've got this i think you, from looking at your stuff and the stuff you do i think you've got a really nice sort of pitch to 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 it all um so um but it as you know it's hard it's hard to know how to get that that picture you now too it is no i mean thanks with that, for that thinking- reinforcing yeah. stereotypes and traditions
1: yeah i mean it's I've been very fortunate in the people I've come across and and who have mentored me and and by osmosis, you know, Mick, we've mentioned Mike, mm. Mike Pegg, who's a pioneer of strengths-based coaching and uh and motivation interviewing, you know, um, people like Steve Rolnick. And, you know, all, all of that stuff is is just is just gold. Um, and, and that realization that you can't just tell people what to do it doesn't it just doesn't doesn't really I mean sometimes it might work but but often it doesn't and it's far more powerful and and sustainable when they come up with it themselves do do you think it's by luck that we're lucky and get to
0: meet these people or is there something else to that you know just listening to you then you know you've, you've been exposed to this person that person I'm just wondering how we if it's truly is chance that we get in those situations or is i don't know is it like-minded people being drawn together or or something
1: maybe maybe there's elements of of all of that i mean who who knows really um i mean we i suppose if you know you've been open to things you know you love you're curious you love spending time with people You, you you're more interested in the people than 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 dealing with the insurance i worked as a private detective um, you know, we all have these, these things that we did um, and, and, and perhaps just a fascination with, with what we can achieve and what we can do to help people. And therefore, you end up just expanding your, your repertoire and, mm-hmm. and just talking to almost anyone and everyone. And then someone, that, oh, yeah, I like that style. Yeah. That sounds good. And then it takes you on to the next and the next and the next. But it needs openness, yeah. I think. So you're clearly open to ideas.
0: And people yeah i guess as soon as you close down you close your network as as well and you you close your exposure to different ideas of the world um anyway what
1: about running how's your how's your running Are you yeah form? i mean the running because i i seem to recall that you ultra run don't you well it, not in any formal sense i mean i've done i i have done
0: ultra runs but i'm not an I'm not like you or some of your previous guests where you're, like, committed ultra runners.
1: Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it?
0: Yeah. you're str- And you're all a bit strange as well. That's... <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm attracted to it because I can only run slow anyway. So if you're going to sort of do well in running and you run slow, then you've got to run a, a long way.
1: I do, I do like that. I, I do like the philosophy of it as, as well. There's, yes, and that and that's it. There's, um, you know, in terms of, I sort of call it my own laboratory, um, and you, you know, you, all sorts of thoughts and feelings and obviously bodily sensations to deal with. Um, and yeah, and and sort of when you're out on one, and it's and it's hard, and you think, really, I've chosen to do this. I could just stop now, but of course, you, there's another voice that says, "Don't you dare." Um, let's not do this anymore. Let's just call it quits after this one. And then a couple of days later, you're like, right, next one. You know, all of that. But you know, it's, I don't think that you know that that kind of thinking is similar in all endurance sports isn't it i mean mm-hmm. when you were cycling um you know it's it's that kind of thing isn't it but but like you you know i i can't run fast it, yeah everything just the the wheels do come off if i do that for any sustained period of time so <laughs> yeah. so just just plodding along is is something that 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 i can do so i do and and you know it helps having a cause Hmm. It helps having the, you know, the whole understand pain thing and up and run as a, oh, yeah. as a yeah. way of kind of, you know, sharing some messages when I do it, you know, maybe, mm. maybe three people and a dog are listening, but, but, you know, you kind of hope that, that some momentum will be gathered and, um, and then you can put out the right kind of messages that people will will pick up on. Mm. Um, but I think we were saying again before recording that I'd, I'd threatened to run up to, um, to Nottingham. Yeah. Um, which I worked out was it's probably about 150 miles, something like that, from London. Uh, oh, yeah, are now so. Are you, further. are you south of London? I am. I'm near Brighton
0: now. Ah, oh, right. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think central London is probably about
1: 120
0: or something like that. Is that so. really,
1: right? Okay. So it might um, have to your multi-stage? You
0: um, might take you two days.
1: Yeah, <laughs> or three, with with a nice kind of stop. Stay somewhere nice when things are when things are open. Or maybe we could meet halfway. Meet at
0: Newport Pagnell Services. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what for? Gap.
1: Yeah.
0: In the style I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the. I mean, the the running and is it for the running or is it for? I mean, you're down in Brighton now, so I'm guessing that's quite nice countryside, is it? For yeah, downs the downs
1: and the, and the sea yeah. and. and sussex countryside and all of that but running around london must be a bit grim well at think. the moment it's because I, I i use my feet as my commute uh mm. I, well, I take the trains to clapham junction so but but i've done a few um of the up and runs around london so along the river or, or round, mm. and um and and of course that's been okay and and you know it's it's been very quite bizarre you know running down Bond Street or Oxford Street with barely anyone there, and and in the early days when when I was going into town you know it was you know running past the London Eye and that you'd see one person it, was, it, it wow. was in the middle of the day it was ex- extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, so yeah, yeah, it's...
0: yeah. I mean the hills, the hills are something else as well. I mean hillier the better for me I, there's something about mountains that are really life-affirming and that that gives you the puts you in your place really when you're sort yeah. of worried about all these small problems of work and the profession and things the mountains uh, are a good leveler i think yeah
1: so do, are you are you getting out much at the moment then well, no,
0: I mean Boris says we can only run locally, doesn't he? So it's all—it's uh, it, not too bad where I live. There's a few fields, and it's a bit up and downy, but ordinarily, you know, just half an hour into the Peak District, which is great. But the Lake District is the—you um, know—that—that—that—that's—that's that's paradise, yeah, to me, really. Um, and you know, the idea of doing the Bob Graham one day is each year goes by and i think is that a year getting <laughs> further away from doing the bob graham or is it a year getting closer to, to it but that that would be like a uh, dream stroke nightmare to to uh, have a, have a crack at the bob graham round um so it's on it's on
1: your bucket list
0: yeah and i don't i don't know if it's a real thing or not um in my mind, I think it is, and then I, I sort of look at the people who do who do that sort of thing, and I I, I can't quite match me up with 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 them um, in terms of their their physicality and their ability to to sustain those efforts for such a such a long time. But I mean, nav- navigation's another challenge with stuff like that, but.
1: Yeah, you'd have to get a crew. Yeah, that's yeah, doesn't
0: it? Yeah, and that—that's th- the other thing, you know. So th- the appealing things about stuff like that is that sense of openness, escapism, freedom. And then you read more and more about it, and it, and then you realize you're being drawn into this process again. And actually, actually, yeah, to do the Bob Graham, this is a really good pr- procedure. That you have to do this, do that, do that, do that, do that. And then you think, actually, th- this isn't why I do that. So there's very few things left in life that are truly sort of free form and es- escapist, because everything's protocolized these days.
1: So I, I sort of see you doing it um, with a map and maybe a pencil and some kind of satchel. Filled with (laughs) filled with hard boiled eggs, which I think was the style of one. um, Brilliant! Some very small shorts and a vest. (laughs) Purely because you don't want to follow the (laughs) protocol. Yeah,
0: Yeah. and I don't want to spend two hundred quid on one of those uh, watches that you all use either. That's the other thing. So yeah old school you know in my mind i have enough of the modern life at work and things every day so something like running is is meant to be technology free hassle free process free and measurement free as well you know that that idea of of everybody be be, i wrote a little thing on it's only on a the local running club i made they've got a little facebook thing and i was having a moan on it about you know, every everything you read and everybody they they just tell you they, they put up that little Strava, Strava data yeah. <laughs> thing and stuff and um, and then it hit home one day I said I bumped into somebody who was running and they were at the they were at the end of the run I said oh I, so it was a glorious day they'd obviously been over some field somewhere or whatever and I said so oh, so how was your run then and they said well I don't know because I haven't looked at my data yet. And I was like, Jesus, this is this is what it's got to. Um, And that's you know that's not why I engage in running and things. I do it for the op- the opposite of that because we're measured all day, aren't we, at work? And you know, it's it's all about performance. But uh, for me, running's
1: the opposite of that. Yeah. About more about freedom.
0: Yeah, yeah, and. uh,
1: just having some space as well yeah it's space great. and time it, to think great isn't it yeah well listen it's been fantastic to chat at last
0: <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> thanks so much for giving me a shout and saying let's have a chat that was that was just great well it was great to hear from you anyway because like you say we sort of uh, never really met up but um hopefully we will do next time
1: yeah, well, no, we were. I mean, as soon as um, we're we're able to travel and, and do things, then um, yeah, for sure. And when we can go for a we can go for a trot. Maybe we could record something while we go for a trot. And I don't mean record yeah. on Strava. I might, but I, won't, <laughs> but I won't. But I won't tell you the speed that we've been running at or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that. That'd be great. Brilliant. Um, if um, if people want to find you. Where, where do they do that?
0: Virtually, I guess on Twitter. Oh, I don't even know what my name is. Is it Roger Kerry 1 or something like that? Okay. At Roger Kerry 1, yeah. Or on the Google. I or, love how
1: sharp you are on your social media. Um... <laughs> what, without even knowing not... <laughs> Don't worry, I, I shall put it on the... Uh... <laughs> on the page i'll I'll look it up for you and i'll 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 send it to you so that you know what it is great stuff Uh, and i'll make a note to get better at things as well (laughs) great stuff but they can see there you know you you post some stuff about the music as as well as other thoughts don't you yeah I i try not to use that so much for the for
0: the music unless i can sort of link it in in some bizarre way to to physiotherapy or something like that um but um i think uh, i think in my little bio thing there is a link to my uh, music stuff as well
1: so if there's if anybody's interested in that then
0: there um, there is there is
1: indeed a, a link to that and um oh, and if if pe- so if people wanted to listen to your to your tunes and your your music how would they do that
0: uh, well, the the band is Lawrence County and we're all over Spotify and whatever the other things are called, iTunes and, and stuff. And that was the other thing. So we had a we produced a new uh, album last year, which was due to be released on the 28th of March. And we had a big, big event lined up to to release this this album but then of course like two three weeks before that is when the first lockdown came in so the the cd the album release never never happened but we do have a new album it's called the frailty of humans uh oddly enough and uh, so yeah you, you can find that on itunes amazon spotify blah 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 and you can see my uh, youtube channel yeah, I've got YouTube channel. We've got the Lawrence County YouTube channel and the Bill Kerry the Third
1: YouTube channel as well. Yeah, ah, we're well, in great company because I believe the Foo Fighters also struggled with their celebrations <laughs> last year. Uh, so that might give you some consolation. You're, you're in it. You're in it together. In the right company. Great. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Well, fantastic. Well, people can head over and, uh, and check it out. So, Rog, listen. Thanks again. Thanks a million. That's been brilliant. Great to uh, chat. And yeah, uh, thanks so much, Richard. Awesome, brilliant. We'll catch up again uh, soon. Take care. Great stuff.
0: Okay. Cheers. Cheers.
1: Bye. <laughs>